When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is VEASAN's College Football Betting Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast. I am Tim Murray. A special edition today. And yes, humor me, because we're doing it on Notre Dame. And as I will mention in the open with our guest, Pete Sampson, we're previewing all the power five teams here in the month of June, maybe a slight lean into the month of July, but you got to talk about Notre Dame. They're a top 15 program. They are a power five team, but they don't have a conference. You could say we could have put them with the ACC, could have put them with the big 10, but because of my affinity and bizarre love of this University, uh, I decided to do a, a solo podcast on Notre Dame. So a lot of in-depth stuff here uh, if you want to uh, enjoy it. Uh, I hope you did enjoy the Bud Elliott conversation. That was really great with the ACC breakdown. Uh, you could follow Bud on Twitter. Just a reminder, at Bud Elliott 3 Puts out really quality gambling information, too, as the year goes on. We still have to do the SEC and still have to do the Pac-12 over the next couple of weeks. So we will uh, either get two out for you next week and take the week of July 4th off, or we'll push one into the week of July 4th. We'll figure that out, uh, all the specifics there, but still SEC and still Pac-12 to come. I, I just wanted to point out something real quick, uh, a little uh, a little nugget courtesy of BetMGM before we get to our guest today, Pete Sampson. So BetMGM put out their current ticket percentage and handle percentage on their national championship odds. 
And the top four, not really going to surprise you. Okay, Michigan, 10-1, to 1, where their odds to open down to 9-1, to 1, coming off of another Big Ten championship. They're going to be preseason top five. 16% of the handle, or 16.5% of the handle, 16% of the tickets. That makes sense. A little bit of value, right, at 9 or 10 to 1, which is hard to find in college football in the, in the days of Georgia, Alabama. Totally makes sense. I understand that. Alabama's next. We think Alabama might have a bit of a down year. The win total is at 10 at some spots. I believe Circa is at 10, uh, 10 and a half at other spots. Who's going to be their quarterback? Could it be Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame? But to bet on Alabama at 7 or 6 to 1, which 10.7% of the tickets and 11.7% of the handle have done, that makes sense. Okay, LSU. Now, this is the one I actually thought would be number one based off of the buzz that they have coming into the year, how they ended last year, how they beat Alabama, how they're bringing back a lot of pieces, very busy in the portal. They're at 14 to 1, open 20 to 1. Uh, LSU, 8.8% of the tickets, 8.2% of the handle. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. And then I skipped over Ohio State, who is, you know, 6 or 7 to 1, 10% of the handle, 9.9% of the tickets. If you're wondering where Georgia is, Georgia's currently 6th in tickets slash handle because their odds are short. And at this time of year, people don't necessarily want to race to, you know, take a plus 250 or plus 210 ticket. 7.2% of the tickets, 13% of the handle. Why am I bringing this up? Because I've given you 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6. 1, 2, 3, 4 were Michigan, Bama, Ohio State, LSU. And number 6 was Georgia. 7 was USC. 8 was Tennessee. 9 was Florida State. Notre Dame, who we'll get to here shortly, of course. They're 11. All those teams makes sense. You could say you're wasting your money on a Notre Dame ticket to win the national title. I would say you were. But I get it. I don't get number five. Folks, stop. And Pritch, if you're listening, I love you dearly. You're my guy. I'm excited for your alma mater. That big noon kickoff is going to game one. Big noon kickoff is going to game two. But ladies and gentlemen, please stop betting futures on Colorado. If you want to go over their win total of three and a half, have at it. I would not push back all that strongly. Deion Sanders has brought in a lot of talent. They've completely reworked that entire roster. If you want to pull that off, go for that, which is like 90 plus percent of the, the tickets are on the over. I'm not going to push back all that much. I think I could see them winning some four games, five games. I would be stunned if they made a bowl game this year. But even if they made a bowl game, people, stop betting national championship futures on Colorado. At BetMGM, 8.5% of their tickets and 7.9% of the handle is on Colorado to win the national championship. Just stop, please. I, I don't even want to say, hey, put five bucks on it because you could do better with $5. I mean, hell, you could go get a 
couple cheeseburgers at McDonald's for $5. You can get a nice iced coffee here in the summer months for $5. Please stop. And I also saw that I think over 50% of the tickets at BetMGM on the Pac-12 are on Colorado. I am excited for Colorado. I think the hire was brilliant to bring in Deion Sanders. We coming with Louie Luggage. They'll be improved. They were an embarrassment of a Power 5 program last year. My biggest bet of the entire year was under three and a half wins for them. And they went one and 11. And their schedule, folks, it ain't easy. You got TCU. You got Nebraska. You do have Colorado State at a neutral. But the Pac-12 is better this year. If you could buy future stock, in Colorado in the sense of, hey, this is a program that I think will be on the rise over the year. Yeah, fine. You know, hey, I, I think they'll, you know, win the conference in the next five years if you can find a bet on that. Okay. Stop wasting your money this year. It's going to be an improved team. Are they better than Stanford? Yeah, probably. And they play Stanford. Could they beat Stanford? They should. They'll probably be a favorite against Stanford. But, folks, let's just run through the schedule real quickly. Just on Colorado, because we'll do the Pac-12 later. TCU, where they're a three-touchdown underdog. Nebraska, Colorado State, at Oregon, USC, at Arizona State, Stanford, at UCLA, Oregon State, Arizona, at Wazoo, at Utah. If they got to a bowl, it would be a miracle. If they got to a bowl, Deion Sanders, in my opinion, should win National Coach of the Year. The Pac-12 is better. The non-con is hard. And bet MGM right now, while they might say outwardly, hey, our biggest liability is Colorado, inside they're saying, sweet, keep betting Colorado to win the national championship. All right, that's going to do it for that little mini rant. We'll talk more about Colorado either next week or the following when we preview the Pac-12. But a special edition today of the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast, Notre Dame. Their win total is sitting at nine at DraftKings, eight and a half at Circa. Sam Hartman can be found as high as 30 to one to win the Heisman Trophy. What should you bet? As they also enter a week zero matchup against Navy in Ireland as a 20 point favorite. Pete Sampson covers Notre Dame football for The Athletic. You could follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore is his Twitter handle. So make sure you give him a follow. And as promised, here's my conversation with Pete Sampson. And as promised, our special ACC preview, as we take a look at Notre Dame, who once upon a time was actually an ACC member for the COVID season. One of the most odd things that we might remember from the COVID season. Pete Sampson joins us, who's covered the Irish for quite some time. And Pete, uh, as our uh, listeners probably know, I don't even need notes for this one. Uh, I'll just be honest. I just, you know, you're my guy. I bug you way too much. And I'm like, you know, we're doing all the Power 5 teams. When you're doing just strictly Power 5 previews, Pete, it's always kind of awkward. Like, where do you fit Notre Dame in? Do you put them at the ACC? Do you go geographically with the Big Ten? Or when the host of said podcast is a fanatical Notre Dame fan, you do a special all for Notre Dame. I think that's probably the way to do it. Cause otherwise you end up with like the, um, 
the all independent team, which is basically <laughs> Notre Dame's roster. Um, well, and that no, no, that just is awkward for everybody. Well, I've got the uh, I've got the Phil Steele magazine just delivered today, which he is the only magazine I believe who does the all independent team, which makes me laugh, Pete, because he does all the rankings for uh, each and every position for the conference, and Notre Dame is number one across the board. So. <laughs> there, I mean, they're running out of independent competition with uh, with BYU eventually uh, joining a conference, so it's like. Who is like who? Uh, there just really isn't a, a lot of other candidates. At this well, point. remember uh, BYU, as you mentioned, now a part of the Big Twelve and New Mexico State trivia question now in the CUSA. So uh, the New Mexico State Aggies, who enjoyed independence there for a stretch, here four independent teams: Army, UConn, UMass, and Notre Dame. So you know, if if Notre Dame wants to start hanging banners, I mean, they they could. Maybe maybe do a little round robin and, and see who gets the championship every year. Yeah, that's like, you know, the schools send out, hey, so-and-so is an All-American watch list emails. Like, there's never been an all-independent email gone out from Notre Dame Sports <laughs> Information Department, and, and for good reason. Uh, so Notre Dame's win total, and we'll, we'll dive into it. Uh, depending on where you look, DraftKings is at 9. Circus Sports is at 8.5. Uh, they will be a underdog or a pick em in three games this year that we know of home to Ohio state where the look ahead line has them as a touchdown underdog. Uh, they're about a pick em against USC at home, which I think might surprise some people. Uh, and then they're a road dog at Clemson about a four and a half point underdog. Uh, I don't want to kind of give it away just yet. Cause I want to dive into it, but you know, you and I have texted about this. I, I think nine slash eight and a half is, is about right because you know, those three games are on the schedule and and then there's no margin for error, especially for a, a team under Marcus Freeman that lost to Stanford and lost to Marshall inexplicably last year. That is really going to be I'm I'm almost more interested in like how Notre Dame does with the other nine than mm-hmm. I am with those three. I'm not saying that I'm that's legit, but like how Notre Dame handles its business in those other nine games like. That's kind of boring. That's a boring story if you're a Notre Dame fan, but it's a critical one that you get right because it's, I mean, it's really one of the things Brian Kelly did so well is he won every single game he was supposed to win. And after you lose to Marshall and uh, just an awful Stanford team, that suddenly it sort of makes everything in play like NC State, well, I don't know, or like going to Duke. Well, okay, I guess we'll see about that. Or Pittsburgh. Like these are games that Notre Dame to be as good as Notre Dame wants to be sort of need, need to sort of just chalk up a W and move on and throw everything in those, those big three games against Ohio state, USC and Clemson. But after last year, I think we would all agree that like Notre Dame's not there yet as a program or they, they're not there yet anymore or not there anymore. Um, you know, with Marcus Freeman as a head coach. So that's, that's a real opportunity for him to grow as a head coach and show he can be, um, you know, kind of get Notre Dame to a point where they're, they were a reliable product every Saturday um, in a way that they, they kind of weren't last year. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember uh, putting out tweets last year uh, regarding Notre Dame and, and how they had really fared well in these situations outside heading into the USC game. Or actually, I think heading into the last two games of the year where they obliterated Boston College and covered a 20-point a spread and then lost and did not cover against USC. But I remember... As a dog or a, a favorite of less than a touchdown, 
I want to say they were undefeated against the spread. And then as a underdog of more than a touchdown, they were winless against the spread early on. You know, you had the loss to Marshall, you had the Cal game, um, you had, uh, you had Stanford. I don't think they covered against UNLV, even though, you know, you know, it wasn't really that competitive. So I, I think that's the biggest question I have as a, a fan, but also as a, a better Pete is, is how will Marcus Freeman, who, who clearly seems to be the type of coach who can get his team up. I mean, the Clemson game and the domination of that Clemson team was one of the most satisfying Notre Dame victories as a fan that I've had. And, you know, probably since that 49, 14 obliteration of a pretty good USC team, I want to say in like 15 or 16, whenever that was, um, you know, I think that's a big question for, for most betters is, can Marcus Freeman pull a Brian Kelly, which is kind of keep this team even keel and then find an extra level to get up for the big opponents, which Brian Kelly, that was probably his biggest knock at Notre Dame was the inability to kind of get them over the top in those games that they were a, a touchdown or a 10 point underdog. Yeah. That's, that's a question I asked Marcus Freeman last week when I was in his office and I, because you know, he talked about how much he learned from Marshall and Stanford and like, but he was quick to say, it doesn't mean that I, I have the answers for this a hundred percent of the time. Now um, I just, I'm just better prepared to handle these moments than I was a year ago, whether that is how you prep after a night game before they played BYU in Vegas, came back home late in against Stanford, played Ohio state at night in Columbus, came back home late in against Marshall. Um, so I, th I think there's a lot for him to figure out from a prep point of view. Uh, how do you how do you get the team? I don't think it was like this sort of an even keel issue or not, but I, I do think that played at least some part of it, especially against Marshall, where you put so much into Ohio State and then you come away from that game. You could sort of talk yourself into Notre Dame being right there because they were winning at the end of the third quarter, but it's still... I mean, it felt like a game where Ohio State was the better team, and eventually that was going to show itself. So, it um, there's there's so much we're going to find out about Marcus Freeman as a head coach this year. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing that he needs to figure out is the other nine games of the year. How do I get Notre Dame to come out and play no worse than a a B? Um, because really, their Stanford and Marshall performances were like an F, and they were really bad against Cal too. I mean, they were. They were a Hail Mary away from losing that game. So it's not like they they blew out everybody they played um, that was a lesser opponent than them um, when they won. They they really struggled in some moments, you know, whether it be Syracuse kind of getting sneaking back into it in the second half or the Navy game was oh, so God. weird. Um, you know, there were there were very uneven performances. Like even the South Carolina Bowl game, I think it's a bit of a one-off because you don't have Foskey and you don't have Mayer, so it's kind of – and. You know, Buckner's coming back, but it that was a weird game too. They were getting, they were playing great, then they were awful, then they were great again. Um, you know, how do you be a little bit more consistent than you were last year when the opponent doesn't naturally get you up? And Pete, that leads me to my next question, which is the biggest acquisition of the entire offseason for Notre Dame and one of the biggest ones in college football. And it's Sam Hartman coming to Notre Dame. And we had Mike Golick Jr. on the pod a couple months ago, and you know, I asked him. He's the best quarterback since dot, dot, dot entering the year. Jimmy Clausen, uh, you know, Brady Quinn. Uh, I even had one person tell me Rick Meyer, which might be a little, uh, might be a little ways away. But, 
you know, I, I'm not saying that Notre Dame absolutely beats Marshall and absolutely beats Stanford if they have uh, Sam Hartman. But look, look, let's be honest. I mean, Drew Pine, what Tommy Reese was able to pull out of him in some games, I thought was miracle work. Uh, Tyler Buckner certainly seemed up and down and was not very good in the Marshall game. So can Sam Hartman and, and the, the, the level of not only maturity, but skill that he has, can he help Notre Dame avoid those Marshall and Stanford type of clunkers because he's just that good? I think so. It. Uh, I mean, I put that question in my Notre Dame fan survey this week about, you know, Sam Hartman is the best quarterback in Notre Dame since who? Um, you know, there were, I think, about 22% of people said Ian Book. Uh, there was, I think, 10% said Deshaun Kaiser, but the overall majority of votes went to Jimmy Clausen or Brady Quinn. Um, there were some Rick Myers, even some Tony Rice's in there. But uh, I, I think if you can get sort of Clausen level productions, I think people sort of forget how good he was because the team was bad. But, um, you know, that or Quinn level where we're talking, uh, you know, kind of an eight to one TD to INT ratio where you really have like a, a guy who can win you a game at quarterback. Notre Dame has not had that in quite a while, but uh, I would be, I would be pretty surprised if Sam Hartman didn't deliver in that kind of way. So the off season and you as a man who covers Notre Dame and have been doing for, for a while, uh, usually off seasons for you are not quiet. And this one was definitely not quiet. So, <laughs> you know, word starts to trickle out around the bowl game that Sam Hartman's going to commit to Notre Dame and, uh, I was like, wow, this is this is a huge coup in the portal. They probably figured out some NIL situation to to make sure he's coming there. Uh, clearly, you know, Tommy Reese is on board with this. And then slowly but surely, you know, the Alabama plane shows up in South Bend to poach Tommy Reese. And then Andy Ludwig's going to be the new OC, and he's shown on the video board at a a hockey game. And then that falls apart. And then everybody's upset with Jack Swarbrick for not doing the buyout and all of that. So. You know, long-winded question here is, did Notre Dame settle on its offensive coordinator hiring from within with Jared Parker, who, you know, from the outset and from people who are looking to bet on or against Notre Dame, Pete, it would say, what the hell are they doing? They have all the money in the world. They could go get anybody. And they said, all right, Andy Ludwig, you're our guy. Ah, he turned us down or whatever it was. Now, nah, all right, just hire from within. What, what what happened there? And, you know, could that be a big mistake this year, in your opinion? It could be. I, but I don't think it will be a big mistake this year. I, I just don't think we're going to be able to know because Sam Hartman will cover it all up. Um, you know, Jared Parker and how good he is as an offensive coordinator, that's, I think, probably a better question for 2024 when, you know, it will be his quarterback out there that, you know, whether that be Kenny Minchie or Steve Angeli or, you know, CJ Carr, who knows. But, um, you know, at that point, you're probably down your two starting offensive tackles and you're starting running back um, due to NFL departures. So I think that Notre Dame's offense will be good regardless of who is calling the plays this year. But in terms of what happened with their their search. Yeah. I think Ludwig ultimately turned them down and Notre Dame insists up and down that they would have paid a buyout of $3 million that, you know, would have been spaced out over a couple of years, I believe. But, you know, did they settle kind of because they went 
big with Colin Klein and Andy Ludwig, and then ultimately came back to a guy who was already in the room to begin with. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, you do this national search, but then the guy that you hire is just down the hallway. It's like, well, what was the point of the national search? So, and that's not to say like, look, Notre Dame advertised a national search when they promoted Tommy Reese uh, after the 2018 season. That turned out okay because he got hired by Alabama. So, you know, could Jared Parker do the same kind of thing at Notre Dame? It's possible. So, that but the 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 process was very weird and bumpy and awkward, and it felt like nobody had a a, a great handle on what was happening. But uh, the end result that doesn't necessarily need to be bound to the process. Before we get to the positives of the off season and this team and why we can convince people to baby bet on the over of their win total. Um, we know Michael Mayer gone in Las Vegas, Isaiah Foskey gone second round pick to the saints. That was expected. What was unexpected was Tommy Reese leaving to go to Alabama. Brian Mason, who is a stud special teams coordinator, wouldn't have brought that up if he wasn't so damn good at his job, but he leaves to go to the Colts. Logan Diggs goes to LSU. Drew Pine left before the season ended. He's at Arizona State, and Tyler Buckner uh, is at Alabama. Uh, rank, let's just rank one, two of the most important and impactful losses for Notre Dame that they'll feel potentially in 2023. I would put Tommy Reese number one. Um, among the players, though, I would go with Logan Diggs. I, you know, it's like, Buckner could have been number one, but I just don't think we ever saw enough from him to to go and like, all right, this is the guy. Um, maybe he sh- he did show flashes as the staff insisted he did during spring and last fall, but we didn't really see a whole lot of it. Um, but Logan Diggs, it's like their their backup running back situation is a little bit dodgy right now without um, without Diggs. You have Audrick Estime, who's like a dude at number one, but you bring in Devin Ford from Penn state as a grad transfer. Jadarian price is coming off an Achilles. Marcus Freeman insists that price is totally fine and ready to go. Uh, and then after that, you know, Jeremiah loves a freshman. Jabron Payne is a sophomore who had, took a red shirt last year. So it's like they have some guys there, but they haven't really proven it. If they had an estimate digs combo, I think this really would be maybe the best running back duo in the country. So that that's a big loss. So let's look at the personnel. Uh, Sam Hartman at quarterback, obviously huge for the Irish. Uh, he'll be there for one year. Um, Audric Estime, as you alluded to, just a bruising back, ran for uh, over 900 yards last year. The wide receiver room seems to be getting better, and then you've got these anchors on on the on the tackle spots of uh, Joe Alt on the left side, Blake Fisher on the right side, as you kind of mentioned in passing, probably two first-round picks, and Joe Alt might be a top-five pick. So what do you expect from the offense this year, and you know, could this be the best offense since dot, 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 in your opinion? Yeah, I think best since 2015 um, is very reasonable. Like, I don't there's no Will Fuller on the outside. They, you know, it's their last first round pick at receiver. They've had some good receivers since, but nobody quite like that. And I, I don't think there's anybody on this roster that is at that level. So, you know, but you got two offensive tackles who you can rely on every down to set the edge. You got a quarterback who's sort of seen everything. Um, should be a strong run game, and then you just you need the receivers to be a lot better than they were last year. But I think that they will, and that's. Uh, that's not 
that high of a bar that it was just a position that was in such a transition mode. They had no real go-to options there. Now I think they may have a couple. Um, Tobias Merriweather's the, the guy that really needs to make the biggest jump in the staff is banking on that. He had one catch last year. It was a touchdown against Stanford. Uh, had a concussion at the end of the year. Missed, I think, four games. So that that's that's the guy they need to really take a step forward, um, I think, for the passing game to, to, to make a leap. When you look at, uh, and I'm going to bring in a, a betting angle here, uh, and now I have bet this, but I'll be honest, just a homer bet, um, and it's the Heisman Trophy. Uh, so some spots you'll look around – you know, Sam Hartman's way, way overvalued. Like I, I think DraftKings has him at 13 to one. You could find him at 30 to one. Now, Notre Dame hasn't won a Heisman trophy since 87 with Tim Brown. Uh, Brady Quinn got invited in 06. Manti Teo finished second in 2012. Uh, do you think Sam Hartman with the weapons that are around him and the high profile games, if, if Notre Dame goes 11 and one, which is a huge if, but if they beat Ohio State in prime time and in September and you know win a head-to-head showdown against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, do you think that Sam Hartman and what you've heard from you know inside the facilities there at Notre Dame and what we've seen from him at Wake Forest, you, you give him more talent to work with, do you think Sam Hartman could be in New York City in early December? Yeah, I, I think could be in New York City is as far as I would right. go on that. But and it's like the path is there for him. He's going to have two. Like when you're making a name for yourself as a Heisman contender, it's early in the season. It's mid season. You get Ohio State at home, and then you get Caleb Williams and USC at home too. Um, I and I'm not going to say here on June whatever that you know Notre Dame's going to win those games, but like. They, they are a much better position to win those games this year than last year. So Sam and Sam Hartman would be the reason why. So if that, if he especially gets Caleb Williams, that's big, that there'll be a big time moment. But like statistically, you look at Heisman winners, you're like 10 to one TD to INT ratio. Um, that seems like a pretty big ask, unless we're talking about 30 touchdowns to three picks, or maybe it's 35 to four. If he can get to those kind of numbers, then then he's going to New York. Um, but to win it, I mean, you got to have something otherworldly. And I'm not, I'm just not sure Notre Dame's offense is built to produce a quarterback statistic profile like that. So that's why I'd say making it to New York would be that would be a big, big deal for him and Notre Dame. That would count as kind of a win unto itself. Yeah, and you think about you mentioned the touchdown interception radio ratio. I was listening to. One of the podcasts you're a part of earlier this week, and you mentioned Joe Burrow's stats, <laughs> which is just insane and may not ever happen again. It was like 60 over six, but he also had Jamar Chase and uh, right. a lot of other guys that played on Sundays. And you know, you look at the wide receiver core, which seems to be getting better, uh, but it you know is not there yet. Final thought on the offense: um, Michael Mayer uh, <laughs> was the fact that he had what was it? I got the numbers here. 67 catches last year for 800 yards. When everybody on that defense knew it's going to that guy, there's no other wide receivers out here. And he still had that many plays. So he was a, a really nice uh, luxury to have for a quarterback in drew pine that probably should be playing for central Michigan, not Arizona state. Um, do they have anything at the tight end position that they're excited about this year? 
Yeah. Eli Raritan is the guy that I think they would be excited about, but he's coming off his second ACL in the last two years. So it's kind of, it's tempered a little bit. I think Mitchell Evans is a fine tight end, but by Notre Dame standards is not, not going to be somebody that probably keeps that draft streak alive. That goes back to 2004. Um, Eli Raritan, I think is a guy who has a chance to be a, a pro. Um, so that's, that's the guy they get excited about, but he's got a, be, have some durability uh, in the tank, I think, before you can sort of get out ahead of yourself a little bit on him. Um, but he's built like kind of more of your Eifert Rudolph types of tight ends, um, not so much like Mayer, uh, but he, he would definitely be the guy to, to keep an eye on. Defensively, they lose Isaiah Foskey, had a 11 sacks, but the, the, the linebacker core seems to be pretty much intact. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that had a bunch of production that aren't going to pop and be, you know, Manti Teo, you know, second round pick type of players or Jalen Smith, who should have been a first round pick if it weren't for the injury. Um, what is the strength of Notre Dame's defense in 2023? I, despite uh pushback from the Notre Dame fan base in general, I think their linebackers are going to be really good. Um, I know people want to see, they wanted to see Jalen Sneed, who was a five-star freshman last year, over J.D. Bertrand and Jack Kaiser, who were three-star, four-star seniors. Um, but I just think that the way Al Golden likes to make his defense complicated, um, you need to have high football IQ guys at the, the middle of your defense. And I think they will have that with Bertrand and Kaiser. I mean, the best player is Ben Morrison, who's a corner, who was a freshman All-American last year. But... Um, I think that the corner and linebacker positions will be good. Safety and defensive line are huge concerns. Um, and if they could get one of them sorted, it's probably going to be defensive line. That would probably also be the one that Marcus Freeman would choose if he had to select one of them. Um, you know, Riley Mills, Jordan Botello, these are sort of like defensive linemen who have been around Notre Dame for a while. were big time prospects that haven't really produced at a consistent level. They, they really need somebody to, they need some buddies to step up along the defensive line in a way that they just haven't for the last two or three years. And if, if they can get that, they'll have a good defense. If they don't, then they're probably going to have to have Sam Hartman outscore a bunch of people. So Sam Hartman, obviously the biggest addition in the portal. Notre Dame's never going to be, you know, Colorado uh, revamping the entire roster with uh, with portal players, but they're not going to be Clemson either. They're going to go into the portal. They're going to get some pieces uh, but maybe not the the sexiest uh, pieces outside of the quarterback this year. So a couple other pieces came in via the portal. Pete, who do you think outside of Hartman via the portal is most impactful for Notre Dame in 2023? I, even though I just talked about how the defensive line and, you know, that's, that's the most important position to improve. And they have uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste there from Ohio state. I still, I think I just have this hunch that Antonio Carter is going to be really good. Um, he's a safety transfer from Rhode Island, uh, played for a former Notre Dame player in high school, um, Clint Johnson, who played under Lou Holtz, uh, played a ton of football, very mature kid, uh, spent a little bit of time talking to him, talking to his dad. Um, I, I just think he's going to have a sneaky good season. Um, and safety is tough because – a lot of the plays you make are plays that the other team didn't attempt because you were where you needed to be. So he, I, I don't know if he's going to put up great stats. I just think that he's going to be a reliable part of the defense 
at a position where they have they're hurting um, in terms of depth and just quality numbers. So I think I have a sneaking suspicion that Carter will be that guy at the back of the defense. All right, we'll wrap up on this. Just a couple uh, gambling thoughts here, uh, Pete. Um, before we get to the over-under on the season and your prediction on, on what you think the season would look like, Notre Dame's big three games are Ohio State, September 23rd. Uh, my streak, I believe I went on your podcast, and I think I'm on a 10-game winning streak on games in person. Uh, BYU, a winner last year. I will be at Ohio State, so very much on the line uh, going to that game. <laughs> Uh, USC, October 14th, Clemson at Clemson, uh, November 4th. So I'll, I'll give you the look ahead lines right now. Ohio state's a seven point favorite, Notre Dame, a one point favorite at USC or versus USC. And then a four and a half point underdog at Clemson. What is the record just straight up Pete against those three teams in 2023? I I'll say one and two. And then I would say that they will be two and one against the spread. Okay, so you think Ohio State, if I had to guess, Ohio State's a close loss. Yeah, that's how I see that one. I think they will they'll beat USC outright, mm-hmm. and I think they will lose, and Clemson will cover. If you had, you, I think you did this uh, on, your, on your poll. Notre Dame fans, if you ask them, okay, you're going one and two. Who do you two want? Two and to- one. I, get, I let them go two and one. Oh, okay. But let's say, let's flip it, because I think they'll go one and two as well. I think they'll lose to Clemson. I think Clemson's going to be better than people expect, even though their win total's 10. Um, I I think Notre Dame fans would trade an Ohio State win for USC because they just, we, as I say, we, I, when was the last time Notre Dame beat Ohio State? Like the 50s? I, I don't, they have not beat them in oh, the modern era, right? Uh, it was the, I believe it was the 30s. Jeez. And like they have a five game losing streak against USC, which is their longest active losing streak against any opponent against Ohio their, State against Ohio State so they've lost five straight to Ohio State that's the longest losing streak they have against any opponent um, active and then it edges the four game losing streak that they had against the University of Chicago um, which ended <laughs> their own for all time against Chicago games played in 1893 1896 1897 and 1899 Man, that's some deep stuff right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, the last win against Ohio State was a seven to two thriller in 1936. You know what? I'll take seven to two. Uh, the 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 amount of money I'm spending on those tickets, Pete. Uh, if if they win seven to two, I don't care. Uh, I I went to the Notre Dame Michigan game in 2012, where I think it was. Wasn't it like fourteen to twelve or something? Oh, odd? oh God, it was yeah, ugly. the six, the Denard Robinson six pick game. Yes, yes, that was. That a... was yeah, that was uh, that was something. All right, uh, so one and two with the big three. The other nine, where they will be a favorite in every single game. Pete, what is the record for Notre Dame? And if they have a loss, where do you think it most likely comes? Uh, today, as you asked me this question, I'll say they'll go eight and one. Um, I don't have a great feeling on the loss because I mean the best teams they play are either it's either NC State or Duke in my opinion, and I shudder to think about Notre Dame losing either of those because it will it will really turn up the pressure on the season. Um, NC State they play the third game of the year, so to lose a game before Ohio State would be very tricky. Um, but then you think about okay, what if they what if they lose to Ohio State and then the next week they lose to Duke? Suddenly you're like, 
I don't want to say you're on the hot seat if you're Marcus Freeman, but like the season is in a perilous position almost immediately. So they're going to, they're going to have to be on it at the beginning of the season um, to go nine and zero in those games, or frankly, even eight and one. But NC state or Duke, those are the ones that I think are, are, are by far the trickiest. The timing is not great for Notre Dame for either of them um, in terms of what's ahead of them, what's behind them. Um, but I, they go eight and one there. They go one and two in the others. You finish nine and three, and that would put you over, right? Or right on, or a push? Over at Circa, uh, which is eight and a half. Uh, DraftKings has it at nine. Uh, I'll give you my prediction. Um, I think the more and more I look at it, I think they beat Duke. I think Duke, while I like Mike Elko, um, I think they were very beneficial to the schedule last year. They only played two teams with an above 500 record. So I think they beat Duke after Ohio State. I think big game Jeff Brom at a, at Louisville is a really tricky spot. I mean, Jeff Brom has a knack, right, for – I mean, they, they – I mean, granted, Rondell Moore, I think, is still scoring touchdowns in that game. But, I mean, they pummeled Ohio State in West Lafayette. So I, I think the Louisville game prior to USC – uh, is really a tricky spot there on uh, on October seventh. So that would be my prediction. I, I think this is a nine and three football team as well. But I'll say this: I'm not getting to the window uh, on over eight and a half because I, I just fair or not, Pete. I don't trust Marcus Freeman just yet to win games that he has is supposed to win. Yeah, I think there's a healthy skepticism about it after last year, and I, that's completely understandable to me. It's like it took Brian Kelly a couple years of winning every game that he should before we were like, okay, okay. We trust you now. Um, and I think the same is going to be true with Marcus. He's after last year. So they, if they go nine and Oh against the teams, they quote unquote should beat, And they go one and two against the three big ones. I don't know if that would be like an incredibly satisfying season. For I'll a take lot that of right now. Fans, I'll take that right now. A good one. I think yeah. it would be a good year. Cause then you felt like, okay, that you've got a head coach who's figuring it out, which ultimately is the most important thing. Um, and you would have enjoyed either September 23rd, October 14th, or November 4th immensely, and the other two st- stunk. But you got one memory out of it. You went 10-2. and two. You're probably in a New Year's Six Bowl game at that point. Like that's, I think, would have to qualify as a good year, even if I do think this is... With Sam Hartman... It would be a shame on no, if Notre Dame is going to Clemson and they're not in the playoff picture at that point. Like this is a team that's good enough to contend to make a four-team playoff. I'm not sure if they'll get there, but they should be a contender once those ESPN ranking shows, dog and pony shows, starts up in November. Yeah, that would be big if they had one loss going into Clemson. And if you had one loss, you'd be feeling pretty good on an over win, regardless with Wake Forest and Stanford to close it out. Final question for you, Pete. Uh, we do have week zero and week one lines out. Well, not Notre Dame, Tennessee State, as uh, your dog is barking. Maybe that's indicative of this question. Yeah. Will the be. dog be barking in Ireland when Notre Dame plays Navy as a 20-point favorite against yes. the midshipmen? How do, I, I have long come to uh, terms with the fact that you should never bet on a Notre Dame-Navy game. So... <laughs> If I, if I could give you no opinion on it, I would. Um, I, I do think like Navy is in a bad spot right now. Um, and I think Notre Dame is good. So they, they should cruise past Navy there. But 
I mean, if anyone who watched the game last year in Baltimore was, you just had to be going nuts watching it. And I, I know someone who bet a decent amount of money on that one. And it was just like, what is happening here? Um, <laughs> that's a, that was Navy is just a weird opponent. I, I, if you were forcing me to bet, I would pick Notre Dame to cover, but I would never bet on a Notre Dame Navy game. Yeah, there's some numbers out there that Navy is just insane against double-digit spreads. Um, you know, I, I look at Veasan.com. You could check out betting splits. Eighty-five uh, percent of the money right now is on Navy to cover, um, oh, but forty-five percent of the tickets are on Navy. It's early. Uh, I know some people who have taken the chomp at uh, at Navy plus twenty-one. I don't know how you could bet Navy, to be honest. And this isn't a Navy podcast, but they've got a new head coach for the first time in what feels like ages in Brian Newberry. Uh, you know, but uh, we will uh, we will see. That'll be a fun game for you to cover. I appreciate you uh, letting me humor uh, myself, basically, to talk about this. But your official <laughs> prediction right now uh, would be nine and three for the Irish in uh, in twenty twenty three. As of June twenty first, and uh, subject to change, right? Yes, yeah. All the disclaimers, uh, terms and conditions <laughs> apply. Pete, always appreciate it, man. Uh, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Tim. Thanks again to Pete Sampson. Really good stuff there. And thanks to you for humoring me as we broke down the Irish. I will say, probably the most in depth we'll ever go on one team on this particular podcast. But the win total sitting at eight and a half. I would not play eight and a half. Nine. I think the only play is under, to be honest. I would be very surprised if Notre Dame is a 10-win football team this year because of those tricky landmines at Louisville, at Duke. Pittsburgh at home, I think, is a weird game. So outside of those big three, I would be pretty surprised. I think this is a 9-win football team, uh, but if you had to ask me what is more likely, Notre Dame goes 10-2 and or 8-4, and I would say they go 8-4. and before they go 10 and two, I hope they go 10 and two. And as Pete said, if they go one and two against the big three and nine and zero against everybody else. And I interrupted and I said, I'd take it. I would, I would take it in a heartbeat. Hopefully it happens, but I do think eight and four more likely than 10 and two. So if forced to play it, I would look under nine wins. Uh, there's no nine and a halves out there, which is absolutely an under play. Thanks to Pete Sampson. Thanks to Steven, the producer of this podcast. Once again, please rate, review, and subscribe. Let's keep it rolling here, folks. Uh, It's been great. Uh, We will have much more content once we get our college football betting guide out later on this summer. A Pac-12 and SEC preview coming within the next two weeks. Not sure which order it will be, but those two conferences will be the discussion next week and the following. Until then, I'm Tim Murray, and this has been the VSIN College Football Betting Podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.